0: Well, hello, everyone. It's nice to be here again and see all of you. Um, I'm really, um, I don't know, it feels so important and beautiful to be able to talk about this particular topic of dispelling delusion, the Wipalasa. I wanted to point out, Or emphasize in in case you haven't thought of it this way you know the first three of these four um, distortions of perception mind and view were talked about by the Buddha over and over and over again throughout his 45 years of teaching and it started right from the beginning you know his first sermon or his first Teaching was the Dhamma Chaka Sutta, where he talked about the middle way, the Noble Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths. And the second talk that he gave, the Anatta Lakana Sutta, is the one where he actually really introduced this idea of seeing all of the phenomena of this world as impermanent, and that everything that's impermanent carries. Uh, dukkha with it. Um, dissatisfaction. And that when something is impermanent and unsatisfying, ultimately unsatisfying, how could it be a self? So the first three of these, with uh, the are really those three characteristics. And the Buddha didn't talk about them as three characteristics, but he used that framework again and again and again. And, you know, when you, when you would see, when you see in the suttas where someone is about to die and then the questioning often is, you know, is there anything that you see in the khandas in the um, body, feeling, perception, mental activity <clears throat> or consciousness that's permanent? and And the person will say "No," and you know the, he goes through these same characteristics, so this is very fundamental. it's foundational to seeing correctly, and it's more than that this is this is the the vehicle that's often used. This framework is often used to help people awaken, kind of take those even the first steps, but also the final steps to enlightenment and so you know this is this is really what we're getting at here you know like how do we how do we use this how do we apply this how do we see how do we change our perception and or you know like recognize when we're imagining things to be permanent when they're not a source of happiness when um They aren't or aren't consistently or ultimately a source of happiness when they're not self. And then, of course, adding when we see things, we think that things are beautiful when they're ugly or vice versa. We think something's ugly, but it's actually beautiful. (coughs) Excuse me. So I'm really, you know, as we dive into number two, (laughs) and I'm going to share the screen here so we can look at some of the the poetry i'm really pleased to you know be able to really explore this together with you you know how do we take suffering as happiness how do we see um you know our, our how is our perception distorted how is our mind clouded how is our view incorrect and when we look at it the dukkha um, or sukha we could also call it you know when we think something's comfortable but it's really uncomfortable when we think something's pleasant but actually it brings pain or we 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 are looking to something for satisfaction when it actually is unsatisfying so we could start You know, a little like we did last week, thinking, okay, do you, can you recall examples of this in your own, in your own life? And as we all do this, you know, this is, um, this is one reason it's so fundamental. It's like, this is, this is a, you know, a, a basic tendency for all of us. It's, it's in some ways, a coping mechanism to deal with the reality of life you know really being happy and excited about the beginning of things um and you know happy and excited about falling in love for example and then you know what comes later are the challenges that you know um are not so happy oftentimes <clears throat> i want to say that sometimes with these teachings people can view them as being real downers you know like is the buddha really um you know when you especially when you look at some of the poems of the monastics you know when they're they're talking about you know never being uh, enticed by sensual pleasures ever again and you know is is the buddha really just saying there's no value in um the things that we take as as enjoyable or happy in this life well i think we can also find examples of how much beauty and of appreciation of natural beauty and other things that the that the ancient monastics talked about but the main thing about seeing those things that we look to for happiness in a realistic way by seeing the challenges and the suffering in them as well is that we approach things differently. We, we, we pick up entering a relationship in a way that's much more likely to bring a depth and meaning to our life, even though it's not always satisfying, not pleasant a lot of the time, not comfortable, and and that there's something deeper there to cultivate, cultivating um, whether it's the way we use material things, whether it's the way we uh, inter- interact with, um, hold our uh, relationships whether it's our work uh, whatever we want to talk about in terms of how we go about our life in the world if we do it with our eyes wide open you might say with our view straight without this distortion then we're much more likely to be able to make use of every experience of our life as part of practice and development of wisdom, development of compassion and kindness and patience. And we greatly reduce the disappointment that can come with, with life, with um, making an effort to
1: bring something about, to fulfill an ideal that cannot be fulfilled. So having said that, you might wanna just take note, Where, where have the times been in your life
0: when you've fallen into this delusion? And I can certainly name many in my own life, falling in love, that's all you can see. Oh, I hope he's going to care about me. <laughs> I hope he's going to want, want to have this relationship with me, being worried uh, that it's not going to work out. Um, I want to get that job. It's so important to get this job. So often, of course, we need to have a job, <laughs> make a living in in the world. But then are we looking at it in a, in a you know, like when have I, been um only focusing on you know getting this job and and then you know weeks or months into it start to get into all the office politics um, the problems are there that are inherent in um, situations so just just a little reflection
1: where has this happened in our lives Does so anyone anyone have any questions or
0: comments about this part? You, I'm not um, asking, requiring that you share any of those experiences, but if you care to, if you'd like to, you may. Just to make sure we're on the same page
1: and what I'm saying makes sense. <laughs>
2: Okay, Holly? Well, what comes to mind is a couple of, you know, about 15 years ago when I was transitioning away from having my own horse, which, as you know, was a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. I sought to become a 4-H judge. And the program you had to go through to do that was long, arduous, and dull and expensive. And then I got to do it, and it was like there was so much time in really hot arenas, with problematic horse rider pairs and interfering parents. And there was a lot of good there, but I did it to keep in touch with, to keep a community Mm -hmm. around my horse community, which I feared losing. Mm -hmm. So there's this craving or this belief in happiness that could come by becoming a judge and a little bit of ego in there too. And what I, what I realized that, after a couple of years of that, that I was away from home a lot and I was hot and miserable and it wasn't really satisfying. And I, I quit, I stopped doing it uh, just before COVID. And my sense was that I needed to make an opening for something better to arise, for a way for me to spend my time. And it really did. So that's my story.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah. Thank you, Holly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we look out back on uh, an experience like that and the the point like I said, it's it's like there's nothing like it's not like there's any um I was going to say need for, but that's not it. It's it's like to not there's nothing to blame ourselves for. It's and I'm not saying you are you it sounds like a very balanced you look you see that happening, you know how it unfolded, but it's like instead of it, I just want to warn us or or encourage us to not go into like well, I was foolish in the past or whatever it's it's more like you know we can approach things in a way that we're less um bound up with them, attached to them, caught up in them, and we can let go easier than if they're not working out in the way that's beneficial. We can we can enter into situations with a clearer intention of how we want to um, offer something into it instead of that idea that I'm gonna get some um, you know, ego boost out of this, or like it, like uh, Holly's pointing out. I think one of the things you said that was very important is talking about how fear can drive us to make decisions about things, and then you know, stepping back a little bit as you did, reevaluating, understanding, you know, like what is really happening and what do I want to do about it. What can happen if we're not so present and reflective is that we'll flip from one side to the other. You know, we'll be all in, and then we'll be all like averse. And, you know, and that's a kind of a, a drama, um, kind of big waves of highs and lows that we, that we want to understand as we practice more, as we develop more right view, and right relationship to our activities, our relationships, our experiences, then the highs and lows start to mellow, <laughs> and we're more even, more happy, more content,
1: less um, vulnerable to the um, the vicissitudes
0: of life less less vulnerable to
1: Um, kind of falling apart, if you will. So thanks for that example, Holly. So let's take a look at our first poem. Where did it go? I think it was a new a new tab on extra.
0: What? The tabs aren't there? Anymore. <clears throat> I think
1: yeah, I think if you go down you down Yeah, you know, down here. I think it accidentally dragged one away. The, the other one? So, Sorry folks. You go. Yeah, here you oh, go. okay. Thank
0: you. I don't know why there is an extra one in Okay. <laughs> okay, so first poem, very short. Dutia Kuti Vihari Bhikkhu. Now, that's not actually the name of a monk. Dutia means second, Kuti Vihari, dweller in a Kuti. <laughs> so there was a previous um, poem. Uh, for the first one, this is the second one, but the reflection here is this hut is very old. So kuti is a poly word for the small shelter that um, monks, bhikkhus and bhikkhunis would live in. And I'm living in a kuti now. I'm very delighted to have my own space. <laughs> and um, this is a part of the tradition. So this hut is very old. Do you desire a new hut? Give up that desire for a new hut. Dear monk, a new hut means just
1: another suffering. So this is one way of working with desire. You know, sometimes we can feel like, yeah, I really want this new thing. Even when we don't really need it, of course, sometimes
0: having the new thing is just fine, very useful, um, helpful. But remembering that the new hut is just another suffering. When the Buddha had a uh, gave a teaching, and we can find it in the um,
1: where he said, you know. And when we love something someone, that's a source of
0: suffering. If you have one love, it's one suffering, two loves it's two sufferings <laughs> because you know of all the ups and downs and um, attachments we have. But it's a very something very hard to see sometimes and difficult to take in.
1: We'll go on to another short sutta.
0: <clears throat> so as you can see, I'm identifying the translator here. Um, this one, both of these are venerable Nyanananda from the book The Voice of Enlightened Monks. And then I said mostly because I made a few change, a couple changes in this in the translation here. Dear Erica, this is Erica, Erica Bhikkhu, Sensual pleasures are very painful. Dear Erica, sensual pleasures are not happy. Dear Erica, they who desire sensual pleasures desire pain. Dear Erica, they who do not
1: desire sensual pleasures do not desire pain. Anybody have any comments? Paula?
4: Um, I do have some comments regarding the hut and just this whole idea. Um, If I'm completely honest with myself, and I would pose this question to you since you just got a new cootie. (laughs) I recently got a new home. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been almost two years. And... um, for the most part, you know, I'm very happy here. As you know, you've been here. Um, there are times, more for my husband than for me, when the house has problems, and that does cause suffering. But I don't see that, like, the overarching feeling that I have uh-huh. about the the home. And I challenge you to say... What about your kuti overall I think it gives you some contentment so i I want to be honest with myself because if I'm not uh, this won't work um, and I do have i I do understand the concept of dukkha but I don't quite agree with The idea that some things that give you some sense of ease and happiness are suffering. I don't get that. Thank you. So
1: my new Kuti is wonderful. Um, For those of you who
0: don't know, we... we uh i and i mostly and sometimes and certainly um andrea who's here tonight uh, was with us for a year and a half uh, different uh, chunks of time about uh, and other people stay with us too and before we moved to the forest uh, we lived in a in in town and um and then in the forest, too, we had a cab, one cabin, and it's taken a few years to be able to build the huts, the kutis. And this is the first time I have that, that private space. And it is incredibly helpful to have the solitude, to have the, the, a space where other people aren't coming and going, um, and, you know, to, to practice. And to be able to, um, yeah, you can kind of get the idea. It's, it's very helpful. And your house is beautiful and wonderful. And, and it's wonderful to have that shelter and comfort and safety. I mean, that's what shelter is for. And the, the danger is when we want it to be more than that. So one of the things that I remind myself of frequently, not to not to uh, um discourage myself or to become negative, but to be realistic. Where we live there in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Um not right now because we've got a lot of water and it's the creek is rushing past the Kuti and it's beautiful and can hear it and see it and it's Awesome, but come this summer, a fire could come through and take it all easily. And this is this is what happens with all sensual pleasures; they're very unstable. And so we can we can appreciate the hut, uh, regardless of whether it's a six bedroom house or a, a you know, (laughs) (laughs) five-by-eight kuti or something in between, Um, but reflecting in a way that we know that we use it and care for it from a place of not owning it, not thinking it's going to give me some kind of ultimate safety or satisfaction that you know, one thing that's very helpful in the holy life is that it's not mine. Uh, if it manages to hold up and not burn down um, after I die, someone else will live there, or maybe even long before that. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's really we, we are encouraged uh, in monastic life to think of the place where we're staying as we have this place for one night and then that's all we can count on. Um and you really can't even count on that, can you? Because we might we might die before. I might die before I stay in the kuti again. <laughs> uh, right now we're in in not uh, in Sunnyvale at the at the meditation center. This is also not mine. So it's it's like it's not to um not to add stress, but to relieve stress. So when we're practicing and we feel that letting go and we feel a relief because of it, that when something happens to the house, it's not as important as it would have been if I'm like very attached to it. And, and so we can, we can um, kind of take our temperature of attachment based on how upset we get when something goes wrong. And then it's just a, it's just feedback. It's, it's, it's a reminder that, oh, I'm, I'm starting to become, my, my view is distorted around this. That's why I'm suffering over it. So suffering isn't inherent in what we have or what we use. It's not about the objects. It's all about our mind. How do we hold it? How do we relate to it? If we can relate to the people that we love with an unconditional kind of love, that really comes from the practice. So we're going to see as we look through this that with with developing the depth of our practice we naturally let go. And so what we're reading here are the words of monks who are enlightened. They are enjoying the the pleasure of spiritual energy and spiritual happiness, they know that that's um, the way upward, or that's the way um, to real peace and happiness. And so they're like, sensual pleasures? Nah. (laughs) You know, I'm really, they're saying, you know, I'm really enjoying the, the beauty of deep meditation, the, Uh, the peace of not having anything the the unburdening of letting go and and so that's that's the perspective within which to hold this what does the enlightened mind do with sensual pleasures yeah you know it's beautiful if it's beautiful i mean um, there are lots of poems um in the in the um the Theragata, the the monk's poetry about how beautiful nature is. And Mahakasapa, who is like the toughest of the tough monks, his poem is like, I love this mountain.
5: You
3: know,
0: I, I could have been saying that today, doing walking meditation at my kuti. Because, you know, it's, it's so beautiful right now in the forest and, you know, I love this mountain. He goes on and on about the peacocks and the elephants and the clouds and and all of the you know, everything. And it's like there is a joy there, but there's also like a not it's a non-self, there's not attachment, it's it's really just the appreciation. So you can appreciate the house. You can appreciate all of the help that you and your family have have gotten from everyone you worked for everyone who supported you growing up everyone in your life that made it possible for you to be able to have this lovely space to live in and hopefully not think of it as yours which really helps
1: reduce the the stress and
0: hopefully we can see uh, as we go along how our mind changes how it becomes more clear about what is real uh, that everything in this world is falling apart if we keep trying to find safety by going from one thing to another or by finding one ha- more one ha- happiness after another one one um you know, thrilling or exciting experience after another, all we do is wear ourselves out. And we don't really get become, we don't really find peace and real happiness. But if we step back and let go, and we care for things, and we care for people with the attachment, and we recognize that we can be completely safe and grounded in Morality and our depth of meditation and our development of wisdom uh, then we then we can really move through this world without um, creating so much trouble or experiencing so much suffering
4: that that helps a lot um I think thinking of it more in terms of has the potential for suffering rather than it is suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found it interesting last week when you asked about what would we feel badly if we got, if we lost uh, The thought that came to me was my home Mm
3: -hmm.
4: Um, and it is impermanent. Um, So uh, that, that was a, a, an acceptable uh, explanation. Thank you.
3: Yeah. Thank you for
0: asking. It's our questions and our, um, you know, <coughs> inquiry into these things that really help to open it up to understand it, you know, because it's so easy to just, you know, you read that and it's like, oh, it's just, you know, like pushing things away. It, 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 it sounds like it's full of aversion perhaps, but it's not. Coming from the enlightened mind, it's just an acknowledgement, and the way it's written, we have to like kind of peel it, peel it open um, to really understand it. Okay,
1: let's go on to the next one. Thank you. So this is Kema Bikuni. So this
0: is from the teri- Terigata. Oops, uh, that should be a T H I G. I know I changed this somewhere, and now it's unchanged. Well, <laughs> T H I G. And I mixed. I took some. So I find this often when I look at multiple translations, and sometimes I look at the poly to see if. I um, you know, use a different um, slant on the on the word too, but here I kind of mix some of what Bhikkhu Sujato uses, some of what Bhikkhu Gyanananda uses. So this is a, the Bhikkhuni that the Buddha uh, said was the, the greatest in wisdom. She was actually compared with. Um, the Venerable Sariputta, the foremost in wisdom among the bhikkhunis. And so she's in the forest right now, um, you know, going to meditate. And this um, guy comes along and he's, Hey, dear Kima, you're still young and beautiful. I'm also young and in my prime. Come, let us enjoy sensual pleasures and delight in sweet music. I mean, you got you know what's on his mind. <laughs> and um in uh, the uh, translation of Bhikkhu Yanananda in the uh, voice or in the voice of the enlightened nuns book, he puts in brackets that this was spoken by Mara. But that's an addition, you know, we can this could be any, any dude, right, who really wants to kind of seduce this nun. And, um, and her response is, this body is rotting, ailing, and frail. I'm horrified and repelled by it, and I've eradicated sensual craving. In other words, not only am I I'm not interested in you, but I see my body as something not to be interested in. It's, you know, like this. Sensual pleasures are like swords and stakes. The aggregates are their chopping block. So the, the things we think of as ourself, um, our body, again, our feelings, our perceptions and thoughts, and consciousness, sense consciousness, you know, this is, this is um, where the sensual pleasures take hold and cut us up what you call sensual delight is now no delight for me so maybe one day back in the past i would have been interested in what you're thinking about but not anymore i'm not interested in this at all she's saying relishing is destroyed in every respect and the mass of darkness shattered so know this, Mara. Oh, she thinks it's Mara, too. Okay. In this case, you are defeated. So you're not going to get anywhere with me. This darkness that gets shattered is all of the ignorance, all of the wrong view. It means enlightenment. And then she says, worshipping the stars serving the sacred flame in a grove, failing to grasp the true nature of things. Foolish me, I thought this was purity. So this is uh, her previous religious practice. It was um, not the the teachings of the Buddha, but um, these these rituals. Um, But now I worship the awakened one, supreme among men, doing the teacher's bidding, I am released from all suffering. So we, we want to remember that these poems are the, the verses that these enlightened bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, um, you know, put together after they were enlightened, usually talking somewhat about the past, sometimes somewhat about their enlightenment experience. And, and here she's she's drawing this sharp contrast um, between what the Mara, <laughs> Mara or his, uh, Kind of um, uh, representation of this person who uh, wants to entice her to um, interact with him and um, you know where she had been in the past, but now where she is currently free from
1: any kind of um, temptation of um, sensual pleasures.
0: So her view changed. It changed from finding joy and sensuality. It also changed from spiritual practice that actually didn't bring the kind of uh, awakening that she found through the Dhamma, through the Buddha's teachings. And, you know, the poems often are. You know, it's, it's like, um, it was like this, and now it's like this, and now I'm awake, and now I get it, you know, kind of thing. But there's a lot of practice that goes into that, that change, that transformation. And for any of us practicing, we can see that transformation happening in us. The things that we see differently now, as compared to before when they we were... Maybe not meditating yet, maybe not keeping precepts yet.
1: Um,
0: you know, and, and any, any place we are along that, that path of development, we can see the change in our minds. And, 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 and part of that change is really seeing the,
1: the, the danger in attachment to the central world and the escape. Any comments? Questions? Yes. Juanita? Juanita? Yes. Hello. Hello.
6: I I I have only twenty minutes left. I have started working in it, but I, I just joined this one my friend recommended. It's I think about the 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 happiness and the pleasures is SLA people, SLA people. I think it's okay to enjoy sensual pleasure, but not attached to it. To it. Yeah. Otherwise, our dry, our life be so dry as a lay people, and as enjoying them, but we have to realize that like we have things, I said, it's, it's good to have this, it's okay not to have it.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: But, and with the more we practice, more and more, we said, maybe not have it, it's better.
1: <laughs>
6: That's so, right. Yeah, not have it, it's better, but as a, we carry on, if we if we enjoy the sensual pleasure we have to keep in mind that there will be another nira misasuk the further happiness than than Mm -hmm. this that not depend on not depend on outside things yes yes exactly and then that and then as a as a as a uh like you just said, when we practice more and more, we enjoy or we can be happy of not having it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, But as a lay people, if we're doing that, <laughs> the monastic is enjoy not having it, happy and not having it, a renunciation. We start to see, okay, mm-hmm. when we have more, it's more suffering. And Mm -hmm. place is, and then uh, another thing that I didn't see the lady just talk about the house. If we talk about thing as the value on things, we call them not convention, not conventional truth. Yeah. Um. Ultimate truth. Yeah, ultimate truth. So, like the house, if we have enough to live on nothing like that, not attached to it, something like that. Okay, this is, let that, that, that is okay. The food too. Most mm-hmm. of us, is, food is very precious and we eat a good thing like that. But mm-hmm. as a monastic, the monastic eat and contemplate on it.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: So, so something like that. And if we, as a lay people, come out to practice that, if we keep in mind that there that that is more happiness of Renounce it and let go, let go, let go, something like that. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's okay to enjoy small things like that, but keep in mind. That's, what I want to say. that's
0: right. That's exactly, I, I agree with you. That's, that's right. And, it, and what I love about what you're saying is that you're, you're pointing out that as we experience the pleasure, we also are thinking, yes, there's a greater pleasure beyond this. Um, and, and that's the point that we, we, instead of just being caught up in the food, um, I told, I said this a couple of times already, but I went to a funeral, uh, back home in Indiana for my cousin and his son gave the eulogy. And I tell you, the whole thing was about how much his dad loved to eat. And I thought, wow, this is like what he leaves behind, you know. <laughs> and I don't think there was ever a thought uh, in my cousin John's mind of, you know, like there's something better <laughs> than just eating <laughs> and enjoying eating, you know. I mean, it, I mean, I'm sure there was <laughs> at some point, in some way, but it's like it's like what you're saying, Juanita, is you know, <clears throat> knowing, like you said. W- we do this and we know, but there's, there's a greater pleasure than this. And, and when we have that experience of letting go of something, like you said, you you can, you can have that experience in lay life. You don't have to be a monastic. Um, I remember this one, the mom of a good friend of mine, when she was, um, moving, she and her husband were moving from their home into a um, assisted living facility, and they were getting rid of all kinds of stuff. And I said, so Jane, how does it feel? She looked at me with this bright, bright smile and bright eyes, and she said, it feels good. You know, <laughs> And it's like, we get that idea. And she was a very spiritual person. And she definitely um, felt the happiness of generosity and kindness and caring for others and you know regardless of whether we're living in a monastic form or lay form we have the same opportunity to practice with what we've got in front of us and same opportunity might be not quite right of course the holy life is designed for the best possible opportunity but I see people designing their lay life in ways that really give them a lot of chance to practice. And just the mind, you know, having this in the mind, like you're saying, um, is so important and beautiful. And it's a process that we're all going through probably for lifetimes, but it leads to more and more happiness and less and less disappointment and less and less despair and less and less um, depression and less and less uh, disappointment it's like we we really do have this ability regardless of form so thank you thank you for that reflection because it's just right on point we're, that's 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 what we're up to um
6: thank you but uh the- I just want to point out that don't be discouraged that we we can enjoy the 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 we can enjoy the beautiful sunset we can mm-hmm. enjoy the things outside things but uh, but since we don't have the the we don't have the what do you call the check with what do you call don't have um we didn't reach to the to the point of happiness of renunciation mm-hmm. happiness letting go yet. So we still can enjoy this and try to work on it. Mm-hmm. And f- further further we practice in that, then we realize that yeah. not having it is more, 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 more happy. <laughs> and, yeah. And less sensual pressure because we depend on that. But mm-hmm. the, the happiness from not being happy is we don't have to depend on anything. Yeah. And we
0: we certainly don't want to you know look at the beautiful sunset and go yeah well that's impermanent and you know get get negative and down and grumpy this is not the way <laughs> you know? it's like so yes we can see it we can enjoy it we can feel it and we can know the truth about it and and boy i've seen people go a long long way in lay life in with renunciation with being able to let go of things and yeah, regardless of whether we're in lay life or monastic life, we're all gonna let go of everything at the end of this life. And if we really let go of most of the attachment and craving, then we're gonna have less of that burden in the next
1: life. So, yeah, thank you, thank you. That was really lovely. Deborah. Hi
7: Aya and everyone. Um, I'm sick, so I'm going to leave the video off, but um, I found that that uh, letting go happens, some things happen, just happen naturally. So last um, winter, somebody on the Clear Mountain Discord put out a challenge of cleaning out your whole house of everything you don't need, and I did that. I spent my winter break um, getting rid of things, and it was so great. And um, and I still enjoy, you know, clothes and things like that. But but this year I bought just kind of the bare minimum. I bought like, two or three things that I really liked and I keep wearing them instead of mm-hmm. 20 sweatshirts from Target or whatever, um, and it feels better. And so this was like a natural kind of renunciation and all so much clutter and junk in my house. So um, So that was like a natural thing. And then there's the other renunciation that happens without our wanting it, which is like I I had got COVID at the end of 2019, and lost my smell and taste and haven't gotten them back. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm down two senses. Although thank goodness in Buddhism we have an extra sense. So, yeah. <laughs> Good. So I saw four. Um, but you know, that kind of stuff just happens and that's not in our control. And um yeah, that's been harder only because of this. The sense of taste doesn't bother me so much. It's this lack of smell. I feel like I'm missing out on something, mm-hmm. um, like you know, at the ocean, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it does affect my safety because sometimes I'll set off the smoke alarm <laughs> when something's burning. But um, so I but, so I see that you know things will renounce themselves by yeah. you know like I can't ski anymore. I used to love skiing um and and um but then there's other things where i'm like yeah i really don't need all those clothes i don't need all that junk i was starting in the house and the house feels cleaner and lighter
1: yeah
7: yeah
0: thank you that's so so true and what a wonderful thing that you're engaged in the community of practitioners and give each other those um challenges or or um, suggestions that help us go deeper into the practice and feel it. It's our experience of things that really teaches us. So that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Thank and, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Caredwyn.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Aya. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that um, I was really resonating with the whole idea of um, the outside. Like, I guess that a lot of my life, you know, especially when I was younger, like, I was looking for happiness out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what you described about relationships, like, that was kind of how it was for me in relationships. Like, you know, does she love me or does she still love me? Is she going to leave? You know, and um, it, but I realized the last person I was with, we split up in 2012 and I just decided I was going to take a break. And then when the pandemic happened, I suddenly had all this access to monastics and also to retreats. And it was like my whole world just opened up and it's still here, which is so amazing to me. And, um, you know what I realized, like you were talking about having these happinesses of, you know, sensual pleasures, but realizing there's something better. <clears throat> and I realized that like the more I had access to the Dhamma and to, uh, being with, with all of you monastics, like I, like, I, I became really clear that for me, I'm not saying that it's a, that relationships are a bad thing at all, but I'm just saying for me, it was a distraction. And, um, and I made a decision, you know, that I was going to continue, um, living a solitary life because, and I think part of it is like, so I decided to move into a van. I mean, you all know a lot of this. Mm -hmm. Um, you know I decided to move into a van because my living situation was so toxic and I realized that it was not helping my mind to to be in that environment and even though I still have that apartment like I'm not there and I'm not dealing with the toxic people every day anymore Um, you know and I get so much pleasure from like driving my van down to the water and you know like watching the birds and listening to the birds and So, it's a sensual pleasure, but it also, like, it relieves my mind, it gives my mind ease, and it makes it easier for me to practice. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I guess I think, like, sensual pleasures are fine if they lead me to a better place in Mm -hmm. terms of, like, I can be, have more ease, have more ability to practice, um, because if I'm in that toxic environment, it's gonna be a lot harder for me to practice. So um that's sort of the like where my mind was going listening to everybody else and listening to you talk about about these yeah. things. So really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, thank you for expressing that. That
3: is just right on. It's and
0: like, you know, today when I was doing walking meditation, I'm right there by the creek, the water is rushing by and it's so beautiful and so calming and it's just it's it's supportive of the practice it's like you said you know when we we notice when something is supportive of the practice or when it's distracting or upsetting or aggravating or disturbing and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we just turn away from everything that's hard i don't mean that and i and in terms of relationships I have known some monastics in particular who will like you know like why why do you want to why do people want to get into relationships it's just so much trouble and it's like well i i know uh i see people in relationships where the two of you together are stronger are more balanced are able to do things in the world in gener- generosity and kindness and 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 support for others that they couldn't do on their own, where they're helping each other practice, where they're growing and developing. I mean, these are really good things in relationships. And you know, to to look at what I want to establish a relationship with this an intimate relationship with someone. You know, what is it? Am I looking for? You know what i want to get out of it or am i able to look at what i want to put into it or together what can we what can we do how does this evolve you know there are there are very different ways of approaching things that can really lead to something really wonderful um, or it can lead us to being s- extremely disappointed and and i mean i've had my heart Severely broken, shattered in the past, and I can see what led to that. And it's, it's a desire for something that isn't realistic, isn't really what the world offers. And this is what causes us so much suffering. We want something from the world that it can't provide. We want something that gives us stability that's unstable from something unstable. And this is, this is exactly what the Buddha is saying here. Look at, look at what's actually going to bring happiness, what actually is going to bring suffering. And it's, it's not like, like we look at the object, we look at the house or we look at the relationship and say, well, that's just trouble. No, it's, a, it's all about how we relate to it, how we use it. And so much of it comes back to cultivating humility selflessness generosity
1: you know really that purity of mind um and it
0: and i'm and i'm also not saying that we don't um we also need to nourish ourselves we also need to make sure we have the requisites that we need and the way to do that in balance is to to start to be as kind and compassionate to ourselves as we are to others so it's not like oh it's all about giving it's all about giving but it's all about giving to self and others in the same way without being like so egocentric about it Don't let just the we'll get into non-self next time (laughs) but this is a big part of how to create that that balance and the opening to being able to be happy and content
1: and loving, caring and unattached. Now we're going to go on to the next one. Now this is Ratapala,
0: and ratapala the story of the full story <laughs> About Ratapala, you can find in the middle length discourses number 82, as you can see there. So you'll have a chance later to read that if you haven't before. And I'll just give you a little bit of background without going through the whole story before we look at the sutta. So, Ratapala was um, the only son of, uh, in, in this very, uh, the most influential wealthy family in the kingdom. Uh, that he was living in and he decided he wanted to become a monk and the Buddha said he needed his parents permission and they were not happy about that and there's a whole drama around how he was able to convince them and he became a monk and he became enlightened and then he went back to see his parents and it was quite the scene because they really tried to entice him back to lay life and being with the family with mounds of gold and you know they had so much wealth and with his former wives all dressed up and very alluring. And then he um, included in his statement what we see at the beginning of his verses. And after um that whole um well let's go there and then we'll talk about what happens after so ratapala this is in the karagata the 16th uh, section uh, number 4 see this fancy puppet a body built of sores diseased obsessed over in which nothing lasts at all. So his, uh, his father told his uh, Ratapala's wives to make themselves up in the way he found most alluring in the past and come out and try to entice him. And he calls them sisters, sisters, you know, and they all faint because of it, that's in the story. But, you know, he's like, see this, this is just, um, this is what the body really is see this fancy figure with his gems and earrings its bones encased in skin made pretty by its clothes (coughs) excuse me rouged feet and powdered face may be enough to beguile a fool but not a seeker of the far shore hair in eight braids and eyeshadow may be enough to beguile a fool but not a seeker of the far shore a rotting body all adorned like a freshly painted makeup box. Maybe enough to beguile a fool, but not a seeker of the far shore. The hunter laid his snare, but the deer didn't spring the trap. I've eaten the bait, and now I go, leaving the trapper to lament. So the eating uh, is actually referring to the, the his father had said, come for the meal, and so... Um, he ate his meal, but he wasn't going to get involved in all the other stuff, <laughs> so he's leaving. The hunter's snare is broken, but the deer didn't spring the trap. I've eaten the bait, and now I go, leaving the deer hunter to grieve. And then he goes on, and this is, this is related to what happens next, um, which is uh, he went... To, he was staying in the grove of the the king, the the royal uh, grounds. He's you know sleeping under a tree, um, practicing there, and the king, you know, since Ratapala comes from the most influential family in the kingdom, he knew Ratapala all his life. And he comes to Ratapala, and he says, you know people usually become monks when they've lost something they've lost their health or they've lost their wealth or they've lost their friends or they've lost
1: you know, their their um, youth but you're young you're healthy your family's got all this money you're rich
0: you've got tons of relatives and friends what is it that you saw that caused you to become a monk, to leave all that? And then Ratapala talks to him, and I encourage you to read the sutta. In fact, um, anybody who's interested, we're going to take this sutta tomorrow evening at our sutta study at Karuna Buddhist Vihara. So everybody's welcome to join in on that, and we'll look at the details. But this is the part of the verses. He says, I see rich people in the world who, because of delusion, give not the wealth they've earned. Greedily, they hoard their riches, yearning for ever more sensual pleasures. It's like there's never enough. And you may have heard of this study I heard of years ago, and I can't remember the percentages, but I think it was that people were asked... If you, if you could earn more at your job, what would be the amount you would want to earn? And they asked people who were earning like, you know, really normal kind of medium income, low, low income, and very, very wealthy, very high income. And what they found was that each, each level, anybody's, they, they wanted to earn about 20% more than they, than they were earning now. And it didn't change. No matter how much, how wealthy, and how much you're earning, you still want 20% more. And this is, you know, what Rattapala is saying. You know, people want more. You just want more. You're hoarding it. You're not giving it away. This is what he sees. A king who conquered the earth by force, ruling the land from sea to sea, unsatisfied with the near shore of the ocean, would still yearn for the further shore. And this is part of the dis- discussion with the king, as he points out to the king you know he he says, "You know if someone came from you know the east and they said there's this wealthy country with a lot of grain and they have a lot of troops, but you could you could overpower them you know and and they have a lot of people and they even say, and they're women for the." For the taking oh, gosh <laughs> all of us are cringing you know <laughs> but you know it's like would you do it and he's like of course i would and then he goes to enter the north and the south and the west and they're saying of course i would we conquer it. we rule it and what if it's across the ocean would you go and and conquer way over there and he says of course i would and and rajapala is like this is what i'm trying to tell you there's no end to it There's no end to this wanting to amass more. Not just the king, but others too. Rich, reach death, reach death, not rid of grieving. They leave the body still wanting. For in this world, sensual pleasures never satisfy. Mm -hmm. Relatives lament, their hair disheveled, saying, Ah, alas, they're not immortal. They take out the body wrapped in a shroud, heap up a pyre, and burn it there. You know, there's this very funny thing that happened when I was young. The jar. <laughs> no, not that one. <laughs> um My mom, we lived in a small town, like 2,500 people, and almost everybody knew everybody, and half of them were, maybe three-quarters of them were all related to each other. Um. But there were certain people that she felt were so like, I don't know, high class, elegant. And one of them died. And she said, I never thought she'd die. Like, talk about a a, a, Like, Like some people have this. Like they've got so much going for them in life. They're so like successful or whatever. They, you look at least from the outside, you look at it and you think they've really got it all managed. And then they drop dead, you know, and it's like, well, of course they drop dead. That's what happens to everybody, right? But there's something there that's, you know, really challenging our reality check. <laughs> you know. It's like, and then what happens? A body on the funeral pyre, it's poked with stakes while being burnt in just a single cloth. All wealth gone. Relatives, friends, and companions can't help you when you're dying. we are gonna I when I used to go to Wapananachan in Thailand they had the the funeral, you know, the, the, the cremation block where it was just like bricks uh and in a kind of rectangle and then all of the, the wood would go in there and the, and the body would be laid on top unfortunately it never happened while i was staying there but i know that there are lots of bodies burnt there and then this is what people actually witness it brings it a lot closer to home you know we get to really take in when the body,
1: when the, when the mind leaves the body, there's nothing there to hold on to. It's
0: going in this way. And then the heirs take your riches while beings fare on according to their deeds. Riches don't follow you when you die, nor do children or partners or wealth, nor your kingdom he's talking to the king you can't take it with you king why do you want to keep conquering things (laughs) longevity isn't gained by riches nor does wealth banish old age for the wise say this life is short it's perishable and not eternal the rich and poor feel its touch it doesn't matter how rich you are you're going to have to go through Right? the fool and the wise feel it too But the fool lies stricken by their folly, while the wise don't tremble at the touch. Therefore, wisdom's much better than wealth, since by wisdom you reach consummation in this life. But if because of delusion you don't reach consummation, you'll do evil deeds in life after life. So this idea that if we don't see through this, we keep making the same mistakes. We keep following something, reaching for something, maybe even lying and cheating to get something that doesn't even help us. You now we make ourselves miserable. One who enters a womb and the world beyond will transmigrate from one life to the next, while someone of little wisdom placing faith in them also enters a womb and the world beyond. So not just following like sometimes we want to follow those people that we think are successful. Who are the, what are the influencers? <laughs> Who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow somebody who's got the same problems we've got, <laughs> you know, <laughs> attached to this world? As a bandit caught in a window is punished for his own bad deeds. So after departing in the world beyond people are punished for their own bad deeds. Not for someone else's, by the way. Sensual pleasures are diverse, sweet, delightful, appearing in disguise. They disturb the mind. Seeing danger in sensual stimulations, I went forth, O king. As fruit falls from a tree, so people fall. Young and old, when the body breaks up, seeing this too, I went forth, O king. The ascetic life is unfailingly better. I went forth out of faith, joining the victor's dispensation, the victor, the Buddha, the Buddha's dispensation. My going forth wasn't wasted. I enjoy my food free of debt. So, this is a phrase that means he's enlightened. Until we're enlightened, all of us alms mendicants are in debt. We're, 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 um, eating the country's alms food, but we have a debt to pay and we pay it by getting enlightened. That's what we're supposed to be giving. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I saw sensual pleasures as burning, gold as a cutting blade, conception in a womb as suffering, and the hells as very fearful. Knowing this danger, I was struck with a sense of urgency. I was stabbed, but then I found peace attaining the end of defilements. I've served the teacher and fulfilled the Buddha's instructions. The heavy burden is laid down. The conduit to rebirth is eradicated. I've reached the goal for the sake of which I went forth, from the lay life to
1: homelessness, the ending of all fetters. I hope you find this as inspiring as I do, (laughs) Um,
0: but I'd love to hear any comments or questions or complaints about it.
1: (laughs) Anything? Anybody want to say? No? No questions, comments? Does it all make sense? Yeah, okay. All right, okay, uh, Mariah. Mariah are you
8: there? I apologize I was muted yeah. um, i I just wanted to comment this one is especially beautiful, and so i I want to make the comment i want I was going to make earlier. I do think as a lay person. It is important to keep in the forefront the chase. It can be subtle, but the chasing of sensual pleasure. It's easy to say that our lives can become dry, and so we need to enjoy them. But as one who watched her house burn, Mm -hmm. um, it is, and that's a gift, really is a gift. Like, I, I must make that decision every single time. Right, if I want to use something, am I really going to clean it, or am I going to do without it? Mm -hmm. So you you taste it every, you know, week or so. My one skillet is easier, right? Mm -hmm. I pretty much eat the same. My food is very simple, but like if you go into a grocery store and you buy chocolate, that's a different thing than at the monastery when Apple offers me a, a nice piece of chocolate right? I can still watch the craving in the moment, but I really do think that you appreciate it's like when you go without salt, if somehow you run out of salt and you don't have salt for a while, then the food tastes brighter. When you don't go chasing those pleasures a little bit, if you you do simplify, the meditation is even more bright. Mm
7: -hmm.
8: By contrast, the breath is 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 a more powerful ease than, mm-hmm. and it's harder to do when you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. I will say that, you know, it's not comfortable losing your home. It's a lot mm-hmm. of hassle, but it's very much lighter. I have one room in a shrine, right? Mm-hmm. And I always think, am I really going to go for the effort? My house was pretty. I made it pretty. I like pretty things. Um, my Buddhas were pretty.
3: Mm-hmm.
8: So I think, am I really going <coughs> to fall to that effort again? Mm-hmm. Is Because it's time, and, and it's a zero-sum game. The mental energy leading up to it too, thinking about the colors, thinking about going to get the Buddha rupas. We spend a lot of time thinking of the sensual pleasures, mm-hmm. anticipating them. Yeah. So I, I'm not convinced that the lay life and the monastic life you have a much better setup, but we can make efforts for that setup. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to keep in the forefront. It's so easy to get distracted, especially if you have savings and you're comfortable and you know, you're not mm-hmm. fighting and litigating an insurance. Company, right. So, uh, I just wanted to offer that. I think it's yes, it's a very, very important thing. Renunciation and lay life, honestly. Thank
0: you, Mariah. That's beautifully said. And it's true. And I know because before becoming a monastic, I was also going through this process of simplifying my life. And at first, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to simplify my life. And I didn't know how to do it. And sometimes I reveal that I bought one of those magazines at the checkout counter, real simple and found it was just full of all these ads of really expensive
8: things. <laughs> it's like, no, this can't be the right way. <laughs> you know, I, I do like, to pay that kind of money. be simple. I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But, you know, to <clears throat> to do this in our own way and
0: realize that we also can really fool ourselves. Um, it's true that we, we want to... Um, like I said, we don't want to go down into negativity, but we want to challenge ourselves enough. Like, like, like when we're challenged to like get rid of the extra stuff that we have, or we're challenged to, and you're like forced into the challenge of dealing with everything being gone suddenly of your house. And I know, I know a couple that, I don't know if I said this last time, this couple that um, lived in the Oakland Hills when the fire came through and they, they went to the beach that day, and they came back and their house was gone. And the husband is a professor at Berkeley, and he said, you know, that was when, we, when I started writing. Because before that, I was just, my library was, was full of these great books, and I was always looking things up. And, you know, it's like, it really changed my life for the better. But, you know, it's like the thing that I think sometimes I hear people say, yeah, my money doesn't matter to me, but we really know when we lose it. Um, We may not really know until we, you know, really, really give a lot of it away. Or we, I mean, I want people to be wise about what they give. But, you know, the Buddha was too. He'd say, okay, you have this much for your Taking care of your family, you and this much for putting it back into your business. You have this much for savings. You have this much to give away. And also if you don't 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 be unrealistic and imprudent. But how can we challenge ourselves in various ways to test how much how attached are we, and can we let go a bit more in our own pace? Or sometimes like your your situation, right? It's not in your own pace, it's just what happens to us. And that happens to every these things happen, whether it's our body, our our health, or our someone we love um, passing away, or we've got, you know, some something that um, we've been depending upon um, disappears. And then we get to like really take that in as practice. How do I how do I reach for how do I develop those things that we really can count on? Uh-huh. Our virtue, our kindness, our compassion, our wisdom, our spiritual friendships, our um, peace of mind, etc.
1: Thank you, thank you, Molly, Jane.
5: Good evening, Aya. Uh, this is very timely for me. Uh, after living in my home for 50 years, I'm in the process of trying to get ready to move February 28th, so I'm learning, relearning all of this uh, renunciation stuff. I have to say, the hardest, some of the hardest things to part with are the papers, and I used to be a librarian, so sometimes I was used to saving things for other people, and and often did that, even things that weren't either my interest. But uh, it's a process, and um, I'm so happy for this timely uh, teaching uh, and uh, sort of a recap of some of the dharma that I had studied before when I was more able, when I wasn't homebound and could travel. I I can't say it's uh, seems like uh, the perfection of life is that. Things can be very timely, so I'm very much appreciating your um, teachings. Uh, Thank you. Wonderful. And to all the other people that contributed uh, their sharings tonight, too.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful when people share their experiences because that's what we relate to. It helps us all go deeper. And thank you for sharing that, Jane. Thank you.
9: Jarell? Um, as a lay person, I I agree with a lot of the things that Mariah was sharing with in practicing the precepts. And uh, I recently got a Dhamma partner where we will talk to each other once every two weeks and mm-hmm. talk about our practice with the precepts. And I know it's, like, not really common for lay people <coughs> to do anything above the the five precepts. But I know for me personally, like, when I watch my mind and I see, uh, like, I really like practicing number seven with uh, refraining from dancing, singing music and entertainment mm-hmm. and gar- garlands and all those things. And I'm someone who yeah. just... Has, I love art, I love music, but I have noticed how listening or watching certain things kind of trigger these thoughts, like these sensual thoughts, and it just becomes a spiral. So I noticed when I practice taking that precept, um, those thoughts mm-hmm. tend to cease, like they're just not yeah. They're not uh stimulated as much. So it, it has like a really great trickle effect for me at least. Like I was like, wow, this is a really uh potent root for in which a lot of these other precepts derive from. Um so I another thing I wanted to share was I feel like I engage in a lot of sensual pleasures because I have just always felt very unsafe my whole life. So mm-hmm. I, I take in these outside pleasures as ways to help me feel comfortable or to help me feel safe when really um, I'm trying to learn a healthier, more wholesome way of uh, experiencing safety. Yeah. Uh, so... Recognizing that within myself has been very helpful, and 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 creating safety and less harm internally to myself, and and creating less harm externally as well. Uh, so I, I just wanted to share that part of my experience, and also just echo what Mariah was was sharing in terms of being a lay person, and and also what you were sharing, Aya, and and be, still being able to create that kind of life, uh, even though we are not monastics. It's just how you said the relationship that we have with everything that we engage with in, in ourselves. Thank you.
0: Beautiful. Jill. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. There's so much we can do and there's so much we can do to help each other. I think there might be one more short sutta. So <clears throat> oh, maybe two. Really, really quickly. I don't need sensual pleasures. I'm pleased and delighted with by the flavor of the Dhamma. That's just where we've been getting to. <laughs> Having drunk the best drink, the sweetest drink, the drink of sweet Dhamma, I will never taste the poison of sensual pleasures again and truly my body is very light my mind feels a great joy and happiness my body floats in the sky as if it were cotton blown by the wind so if any of you have had that experience from meditation or if not open your mind to the possibility that the body can be that light that much happiness so <clears throat> that's the end of the, the suttas, the, the poems for tonight. And I want to mention that um, there is an in-person retreat scheduled to happen at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies. Um, and, and, of course, that's in the East Coast, East uh, near Boston. And I'm going to be teaching a lot of the same material. It's the same topic, uh, the Vipassana. But we're going to be able to, of course, take it much deeper, practicing together, and there'll be more um, more to references. And so, if you or anyone else would like to take this deeper, in, please uh, check it out on the via very center BSBC. <laughs> No, BCBS, sorry, a little dyslexia there. (laughs) Website and and consider it. It's the first week in April, so it's coming up. So, um, again, um, um, we'll be, Rob will place the the sutras from tonight on uh, the Audio Dharma uh, recording and I think he'll send them out to you we'll send that that document out to you as well and I hope you have a wonderful week and next week I hope to see you again and we'll talk about self and non-self which is extremely by the the real defining concept of the Buddhist teachings
1: um,
0: how we can really go beyond this ego and um, sense
1: of self